Hello and welcome to the Road to the Garden podcast. It is the 11th day of Big East Miss, and that means we're previewing last year's regular season champion, Providence Friars. I'm joined by Tommy Godin, as always, and Joe Howie from The Flex. The Flex is now also a podcast with us, if you aren't familiar with it. And for the Flex listeners listening to this, this is part of our series previewing the Big East for this season. So welcome aboard. We're going to have a league preview coming out tomorrow. This is our last team preview. So go back, check in your feeds, and you'll catch all the other ones if you want to get ready for the season. A season that's starting in just a couple days, a little bit later for the Friars. The Friars start on Tuesday, just about everybody else starts on Monday. We're going to get into this, guys, because we're, we're kind of bookending the Big East here with two teams that have a serious amount of question marks with Georgetown and Providence. This team made the Sweet 16 last year for the first time in quarter of a century. And the team's losing all five starters. Al Durham, Nate Watson, Noah Horkler, A.J. Reeves, and Justin Manaya are all out. In is one of the better transfer classes in all of college basketball. Bryce Hopkins, a former top 50 recruit from Kentucky, Devin Carter from South Carolina, Clifton Moore from LaSalle. He also played at Indiana, Noah Locke from Louisville, Corey Floyd from UConn, and then two freshmen, Jaden Pierre and Quante Berry coming in. The projected starting lineup right now has Jared Bynum, Noah Locke, Devin Carter, Bryce Hopkins, and Ed Croswell. Croswell and Bynum are the team's two top returners, with Bynum being named to first team all Big East status. So a lot going on there. Tommy, we're going to start with you here. Joe and I are the Providence guys. We want to hear from kind of the neutral perspective. From the outside looking in, what's the perspective on Providence this year? I mean, you talked about all the guys that you lost. You didn't talk about the most notable loss, the dunk. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You're playing dirty over there. I know. I know. It's gone. It's still going to be – it's always going to be the dunk. But, yeah, I mean, from the outside looking in, it, it's – I mean, you guys lost 147 out of 165 starts. You lost a lot of the scoring, a lot of the rebounding. Um I've kind of, I mean, outside looking in, Ed Cooley's the guy. I mean, he's just the dude, as you guys say. So um, it's going to be a transition year for Providence. I think they have the talent, the depth, and certainly the coaching to pick up where they left off last year. Um, but I think it might get ugly at times, especially early um, going into this year. So I think from a Providence perspective, I – share the sentiment that this is definitely a transition year. You're going from, you know, top of the biggie, Sweet 16 appearance, holding the eventual national champions to only a five-point victory, X, Y, and Z, coach of the year, biggie's coach of the year, to now you lose all five starters. You lose, you know, a senior in Nate Watson who had been through the system five years in a row, guys like A.J. Reeves, Al Durham, who were stellar in the backcourt. But what you replace it with is a, a crop of transfers that are highly rated, and Jared Bynum now owning that leadership role. You know, we saw glimpses of it last season, but on a veteran roster, you know, you're going to struggle for that role. Now it's his. So it's time to put on the big boy pants and take it. I think, you know, this Providence team has the potential to surprise a lot of people. But at the same time, I don't think that, you know, they're going to rattle off 27 wins the same way last year's team did. I, I, I think that's out of the realm of possibility, but 
they can compete for an upper tier in the Big East uh, landing spot. Yeah, I mean, this team went 27-6 and six last year, 14-3 and three in the Big East. I think they could be a better team and also just not get that same number of wins. Obviously, I, I think all of us resist that luck narrative a little bit around why this team won so many close games last year with just how, how much experience there was on the roster that's going to help you there. Well, now you don't have that experience. Now you're going to rely on a lot of young guys. And what's going to come with that, and I think, Tommy, you alluded to this, is there's probably going to be some bumpy moments in here. Close games against teams you shouldn't play close or uh, losses to teams where it's coming down to the end and you aren't able to execute in the same way you were able to last year. Obviously, having the Naismith Coach of the Year probably helps with all of that. But you this is something Joe and I talked about on the Flex the other day, which is, this is kind of where you have to earn that status too. It's one thing to win the award once. It's another thing to live up to that status year after year. Cooley's going to have his his work made out for him here. That is for sure. I know we did our, our preseason ballots here for rankings. Joe, where did you put the Friars in yours? So I put the Friars at third. I think you know there's definitely Providence bias in that. But I also think if you look at the other changes around the Big East that – with the way the ball rolls sometimes in these late February games, Providence could very well finish third and have a, an unconvincing Big East play. And I think that's a lot of the times the way the cookie crumbles when you look at teams like Providence, like Seton Hall, Butler, Xavier at times. Like sometimes the ball bounces your way at the end of conference play and you bump up a couple spots or you're left at six and you're playing on Wednesday night. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely the case. The number of ties and log jams we've seen in that middle middle of the pack, of the Big East, things get weird. Tommy, where did you put Providence? So I have them at six. I have them right behind St. John's at five and right above Butler at seven. I think they certainly have all the pieces they need to finish maybe fourth, third, pushing it maybe a little bit from an outsider perspective. But I mean, why not? Uh, Joe made a great point that there is so much change going on this off season. I mean, why not? If, if the ball bounces that way, if, if the luck is on the Friar side again, I mean, they certainly could finish third. Um, but I have them at six. I, I think this is going to be a, a little bit of a transition year, a little bit of a step back. I think other teams in the conference got a little bit better, a little bit older, more congealed as a team. Um, throughout the offseason, whereas Providence has a lot of new guys coming in, learning the system. Um, so, yeah, I have them at six. Yeah, I, I also had them at six for a lot of the same reasons. The other thing that kind of convinced me in that direction is how Ed Cooley has been talking about this team throughout the offseason. I would have I leaned into the ceiling of this team. I probably, probably would have had Providence in fourth ahead of Xavier based on some of the stuff with them. But the way Ed Cooley's talking about it, he's very cognizant of the fact that this is a new group of players. This is not the team that went to the Speed 16 last year. Not at all. So it just it'll take time. And I think I think the difference between sixth and third is probably very small. The difference between sixth and ninth is also very, very small this year. So I think really I think anything outside of the top two or bottom two is absolutely within the realm of very reasonable possibilities for this Friars team. I think it should finish on the higher end, given where the the the, just the the talent on this team is really good. But actually playing up to that is going to be um, that's that's a big question mark. The Big East had Big East had him at five, 
which I think is interesting. It's right around that. And then Ken Palm actually has them at seventh in the conference. We're all shooting around the same number here. Like it's just it, yeah. all kinds of stuff all over the place. We're, we're talking about the biggest questions for all of these teams. Tommy, I want to start with you. What do you think is the biggest question for Providence? So I think the biggest question for Providence is how is Ed Cooley going to fare trying to find a rotation with eight new faces coming in? I mean, this team's going to go as far as Jared Bynum will take them, um, but they're returning just one player who logged over 500 minutes. I mean, it, it's not great. You're losing 73% of the team scoring, 67% of the rebounding. These are – I'm bringing it up again for um, kind of pandering into the Providence crowd here, but these are some dudes that you're losing. <laughs> Durham, Horkler, Manaya, Reeves, Watson. I mean, these, these are these are important guys that, that, are, that are coming out. So I have confidence in Ed Cooley. I mean, the rest of America does too. That's why he got that new piece of hardware this offseason. Um, so yeah, I, I think how Ed Cooley is going to navigate bringing in all the newcomers is, is going to be the biggest question this year. And Joe, is that kind of your question here too? Yeah, mine is kind of a more, um, nuanced approach, but falls in that same vein as rotation. Um, I think specifically Bryce Hopkins is a big question mark. You know, there is a lot of preseason hype around him because he was a coveted four star coming out of high school, but for lack of a better term, he rode Kentucky's bench last year. Average six minutes a game. He had one huge game that there's highlights of all over the place. But other than that, he wasn't much of a role player for them. And he's stepping into a role that was filled by Noah Horkler before him and Alpha Diallo before him. And those were, Tommy, like you said, those were the guys. Those were the dudes. Noah Horkler was the glue guy last year. And we all know about Alpha Diallo. So I think this is a, a huge jump for Bryce Hopkins to take. And this is something that Cooley said in the press conference following one of the two exhibition games, I forget which one it was, but he said, we're asking Bryce to do a lot more this year. He's someone that didn't play a lot of minutes, and now he's expected to play a lot of minutes at a lot of different roles. So I think Bryce Hopkins is a big question mark. If we're basing it solely off of the exhibition games, which you should take with an absolute grain of salt, he looks athletic and he looks to be good at basketball. But again, we don't know how he's going to play against other Big East opponents, mind you, in a loaded Big East front court this season. Yeah. Yeah. And being athletic and being good at basketball is kind of assumed when you come in as the top 50 guy too. Like yeah. we, we already knew those. So it's good to confirm it, but there's more to develop there. I, I completely agree with both of you guys on this. Um, I think it's kind of, I think it's really the same question we had for Georgetown, which is just what, what is this team? There's so much that's different. And there's a couple smaller questions in there for me. I think one of them is how do you get offense and defense on the floor at the same time, uh, you got Jared Bynum, who's a really good scorer, but a little bit undersized. Olak, who's a good shooter, but fine on defense. And then you've got Devin Carter and Alan Breed, who are really good defensive guards, but are not going to give you that same shooting presence from the outside. They're just not going to give you that same offensive touch. And then if you look in the front court, you got Ed Croswell, who is a kind of Eric Dixon light in a lot of ways in the way he plays the game, but he's not that big of a guy and he's not going to play the best defense in the world. And then you've got Clifton Moore, who's going to be right there behind him at the center position, who's a really good guy at blocking shots. We don't know what the offensive ceiling looks like there. So how do you get all these guys on the floor at the same time in a way where 
you can run an offense at one end and play defense at the other end without having a weak spot, without feeling like you're playing four on five at, at either end of the court. Um, and that's where I think Bryce Hopkins can be a huge X factor for this team because he can do both with his size. I'll also mention Rafael Castro, who has been a standout in the exhibitions. Joe, I know you have opinions on him. You're, you're writing about him for the preview. I'll let you kind of talk about him for a sec. I'm going to copy and paste the same line that I just used for Hopkins. He's athletic, and he looks like he has tremendous upside. But he's going against Clifton Moore, Bryce Hopkins, and Ed Croswell, who are all veteran and older than him. So, if again, we're pacing it off of the exhibition, he should be a starter that plays 33 minutes a game and averages 18. <laughs> but uh, he's a red shirt. Um, it looks like he can drain it from deep, and you know he's trendy around the rim. That's all good and fine. Again, hasn't played one Division One college basketball game yet. Hasn't touched the floor during a conference game yet. So I'm interested to see how he acclimates. And again, he's fighting for playing time uh, on a loaded front court rotation on the team alone. Yeah, yeah. It's he could be the best player on this team. He could be the second best player on this team. I think. Uh, I think Wyland's probably going to be number one. He could also be the fifth guy off the bench, depending on what he's able to do on defense, kind of the mental side of things, ability to just play to Biggie's speed and toughness. He's six eleven. He can run the floor and shoot threes and play power forward. So you could be looking at a Dawson Garcia type guy here. He can block shots. It's just that stamina. So yeah, we will see that, and that's. This is a long question segment, I think, in large part because of just how much change there is and how many questions there are about this, this Big East roster. We're going to talk about their schedule. Tommy, did you have anything else you wanted to bring up in there, or is it, are we looking at the schedule now? No, I was going to bring up how big Devin Carter's chain was at Big East Media Day. Did you see that thing? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Nice. It was like looking into a mirror. But, yeah, I mean, Bryce, I, I don't know what the vibe is inside. Providence but I mean from an outsider's perspective I I really I'm very high on Bryce Hopkins he was my pick for transfer of the year when we voted on it in the Big East I talked to Devin Carter I asked who who the breakout guy was going to be he pointed right to his right right to Devin Carter I mean he this guy is a top 40 prospect in in 2021 I, I I have really really high hopes for for Hopkins this year yeah if I could just add to that too I think that's an interesting perspective, especially from the outside. I think when I look at him, I think all those things too. But then I also think of like the Lawan Pipkins of the world where it took them a little time to onboard. Now, given completely different position and Pipkins came from, you know, a lower conference. So I I think you're comparing apples to oranges, but I just sometimes get nervous with these incoming transfers. But it's it's refreshing to hear that from an outside perspective (laughs) because maybe I'm just being too hard on him. And you never really know what you're getting from somebody who's coming from another school. I had actually looked into this a little bit, and Kentucky's had a couple guys that play that same position transfer out. One of them was Cameron Fletcher, who went to Florida State last year and was just kind of a role player for them. He was 71st in the recruiting class. The other guy who did that recently was Johnny Juzang, who went to UCLA and has become kind of a household name in college basketball and a really good player. So I think I think the floor in Bryce Hopkins is role player. The ceiling, it's really high. Just no idea if he's actually going to hit it. All right, let's look at these these calendars. Let's look at the schedule here. There's three of us, so we're we're going a little bit quicker through the games. We're each going to pick like two here that we like. Um, Tommy, I think it's I think you're up here for games that you like that you think are important for the Friars this season that we should make sure not to miss. 
was on mute. My apologies with sneezing, <laughs> getting over COVID. Um, no, but <laughs> my first game for the Friars here, I'll go quick, is November 30th at TCU in the Big East Big 12 battle. I, I was no geography major, but looking at the schedule, I think 10 out of the 11 non-conference games were in the New England area for Providence this year. This is the only one not in New England. TCU, not to mention, is going to be a very, very good team. Matt, I know we talked about this on one of the previous episodes that Providence going into this game early in the season most likely will not be favored in this game. It's a game they probably won't win, but we're looking for moral victories in this game. We're going to see how they stack up against a very good team on the road, and I think we're going to learn a lot from that game. And my next game, I have a pair of games, December 17th and March 4th against Seton Hall. It is their first conference game, and it's their last conference game in we're going to talk about what success looks like in a minute, but these are similar teams in similar situations. Um, it's going to be good to evaluate both of these teams, and it's going to be good to see how they look from their first conference game to their last. And Seton Hall should be a defensive team. That's a, a group. Uh, they, they faced Shaheen Holloway in non-conference last year with St. Peter's too. So I think just some really interest, interesting storylines, young guys versus veterans, some good stuff there. I like those. Joe, what, which ones did you pick out? Um, <clears throat> so first, actually, Tommy, I agree word for word with what you said on the TCU game. I think if you look at the slate of non-conference games, that one screams at me off the paper because that's basically the biggest and first major test outside of New England for this young team. Um, for me, I, I, the, the two games are actually back-to-back home games in the month of February, the 14th at home against Creighton and the 18th at home against Nova. Uh, I mean, you, you really can't get a more intense back-to-back homestand than those two games. And that's the, the middle of the pack February when those Ed Cooley teams that are, are not 27-6 and six and not going to the Sweet 16, that's when those Ed Cooley teams has, have historically turned it on. Um, and if there was ever a time in conference play for a younger Providence team that is looking to make some sort of run into March to do it, it's those two games. And Creighton's favorite to win the conference and Villanova is – as always, slated to be at the top of the conference. So those are the back-to-back games that I think stand out to me the most. And that Creighton game, that's the pink out, too. Yeah, I won't be there, unfortunately, but that is the pink no. out game. Yeah, we talked about this for the – Chris and I talked about this for the Creighton preview, too. That That's on uh, that's on Valentine's Day that night, and that game it might ruin some Valentine's Day plans for people oh. or might ruin some relationships for some people, depending on how your priorities stand <laughs> for that night. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> should, be, should be a good one. That is for sure at the AMP. Oh, I got to get used to saying that. I'm not, calling, I'm not calling it that. I refuse. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the Providence Civic Center on this podcast. That's fine. Just not the AMP. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. My two games here, I'm going with one multi-team event that Providence is playing. They're at Mohegan Sun. They try to do this as often as they're allowed to. They're going to get Miami in the first game, which is a team that went to the Elite Eight last year. They were they also got cut off by the buzzsaw that was Kansas. And then they'll get either Maryland or St. Louis in the next game. Providence might be the worst team in that group, depending on how you think about the other ones. Miami's a real up-and-comer, and we all know the NIL stuff going on down there at South Beach. So that'll be a big test in what will be like a semi-home game. Um and I, I like that environment for Providence, so you'll learn a lot. That was the last time they played there. They beat a pretty decent South Carolina team. 
and then lost to a Michigan team that I believe that was the year Michigan lost to Villanova in the championships. That was a very good Michigan team that they got destroyed by on that floor. Um, and then the other game on the schedule, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the home game against UConn on January 4th, the first time that UConn is playing at Providence in the New Big East with fans in attendance, barring some kind of a weird cancellation. It'll finally happen here in year three. And that's just, I mean, the building is going to be jumping for that one. I know, Tommy, you've probably seen the hate from Providence fans directed Villanova's way, but I don't know if there there's hate in the Providence fan base for anybody else quite like there is for UConn. I don't think there's hate in any Big East fan base like there is for <laughs> UConn. Let's be let's be real here, Matt. They they ditch the conference so they can f- field a, a a terrible football program and then they come back on their hands and knees begging to be let in for what two early NCAA tournament exits to I don't know. But I won't. I can go down a rabbit hole of how much I hate UConn, but. I don't think there's any team in the conference that's more hated than the Huskies. That is for sure. Although they did, uh, they did do Providence a favor last season and beat Villanova in that game. So they did help us out. Yeah, yeah, that's something right there. Those Plus those games. That... <laughs> those, those are some games that uh, jumped out to me. We're gonna wrap up here with one final question. We wrap up the team previews. Joe, I'll come to you first on this one. The question is simple. For the 2022-23 college basketball season, what does success look like for the Providence Friars? For the Friars, I think success looks like a top five finish in the conference with some sort of 12 and 7, 13 and 6 record, and you know, maybe a first round exit from the NCAA tournament. I think that is probably success for this team. I think that should be the expectation in the locker room. Obviously, you know. I'm not the coach, and I'm sure they're preaching much higher than that. But I think that from a fan's perspective, that's where you should be highballing it. I think lowballing it is, you know, seventh or eighth with, you know, maybe a a nine and ten record, something under 500 along those lines. Um, and I, I just think success in more of a broad strokes, bird's eye view, is not falling into that routine of being that Friars team that underperforms compared to its set uh, predecessor. So if you look at successful Friar teams in the past five or 10 years, they are always followed by some sort of rebuilding unsuccessful Friar team. And I won't go down the laundry list of the teams in the past couple of years. You can read the article if you want to really break those down, but on paper, this team is supposed to suck compared to last year. So I think if you just, you hold your own and you compete and you win the games that you're supposed to win, you're successful. Yeah, I'd agree there. Ty, what do you think? What, what do I always like? say, Matt? You, you, do you do you want to do you want to fill in the blanks for me, or, or should I go with you? Got to got to be better at the end of the season than you were at the start of it. Damn right, and that's never been more true than it is for for this Providence team. I mean, this team's going to look rough coming out of the stretch. I, I mean, coming out of the gates, it's it might not be pretty. Um, they're going to take some bad losses, but I, I do think this team has the talent depth and of course the coaching it takes to be a team nobody wants to see come february march and and frankly I, that's what i think a successful season looks like from from my perspective yeah i think we've all learned not to count out ed cooley in february or march don't bet against that man then you don't know what's going to happen before that point but once you get to the last six weeks of the season that's when the friars come alive um my my level of success here what i'm looking for 
I think might be a bit high, but I want a team that can win a game in the NCAA tournament. Well, I think making it first and foremost is kind of success, but winning one, winning a game would be huge because the Friars have not won back-to-back games in March Madness since 1972 and 1973. So breaking that, putting together two seasons in a row where you go to the dance and win, that's been the knock on Ed Cooley since he's been on Providence. That's been the criticism levied against him. says he can put together good teams, but they can't win in March. This is the time where you really knocked it off. You want to really make sure that piece of that piece of hardware you got is earned. Go win a game, another big one in March. Um, and I think also winning some games at Madison Square Garden is success. But NCAA tournament is kind of the, the barrier. Get in the dance first. I think that right there is going to do it for us on these team previews this year. That's eleven of them. We're going to have Tommy and I are going to have a league preview coming at you um, tomorrow. And Joe has a companion piece, a written piece that you can find online. If you're listening to this, definitely go check that out. Make sure if you want more province coverage, go follow at the Flex Hoops on Twitter and subscribe to that podcast feed. If you are listening to this in the Road to the Garden feed, make sure that you go. Make sure that you go and subscribe there. Uh, they're laughing because I have, uh, I have my my Christmas lights on right now, and and one of these two just put Matt. You look like the Grinch in the chat here with the, the nice green light on me. So yeah, set the tone for the season right there. No, I think it's uh, the curly hair that looks like the Grinch's little twirl from the the Jim Carrey movie. That that's that's what's getting me right now. Oh my goodness! Well, this one... off, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> this one is not a video yet. edition. Yeah, this is this is a uh, not a video one, but you'll get some video podcasts at some point this season. You'll be able to check out exactly what they're talking about. Um, but yeah, make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening to this. Make sure that you follow us on Twitter at Road to the Garden. Make sure you listen to all the old episodes. Stay tuned for our league preview tomorrow. And as always, thanks for listening.